Welcome to First Turn, where we play board games for the first time and discuss our immediate reactions. It's like book club, but for board games. I'm Kiwi, and with me is BP. Hi! Today we're playing Pixel Tactics Deluxe. The designer was Deep Brad Talon Jr. of Millennium Blades and Battlecon War of Endines, and the artist was Fabio Fontes, who did the same games. It was published in 2015 by Level 99 Games. And the description is, the goal of Pixel Tactics is to choose a leader, build a cohesive unit of heroes around that leader, and then use it to destroy the rival's unit. You win as soon as you are able to defeat your rival's leader. The mechanics are hand management, multi-use cards, the box art. It's pixel art. No, I mean, it sort of is. But the characters, it's got these characters on it that look like those... What are those like pop Funko figures? Pops? Yeah. yeah. I think chibi style would be another way to describe it where they have like smaller bodies and big heads. Right. I would say like the title is in pixel art, but the right. art, the actual characters look more like what you might see in like concept art for a Final Fantasy mm-hmm. or a Japanese RPG style game. Kind of what that looks like. So based on the description and the box art, would you pick this up off a shelf? I did based on the art. Okay. Yeah, I got this in a trade and it looked like an interesting concept and I liked the art as well. So I was like, sure. Yeah. What I was trading away was being traded away. So yeah, I think uh, that means we would both pick it up. So based on that, how do you think it's played? What were the mechanics again? The mechanics are hand management, multi-use cards and variable player powers. Okay. And we're going to have a hero. Yep. And we want around that that are going to defeat our others. So I'm assuming I played enough war games now. I know what multi-use cards means. Okay. There's going to be, you can either play it for the event, probably, or for like some sort of powers. Okay. And we've got a grid that we're laying out. So I'm supposing our leaders right in the middle, we've got our pawns up top. They're called Vanguard, but let's be honest, they're just the pawns. They're your sacrificial people out there. We've got our flanks and then our rear guards. So those are gonna be our people. Yeah. Okay. And I'm gonna try to be stronger than you. So the history of trying to beat our rival's unit. Um, That's called war. And it's as old as humankind. Sure. But how about pixel art? Okay. Yeah. No, I'm down with that. Um, Obviously, uh, if you're familiar with the term, it's um, using pixels as the building block. So um, basically little dots, dot art. Um, Interestingly enough, the article I looked at didn't look at some of the early dot arts from the Impressionists in the uh, 1800s, but it is mostly associated with digital art as opposed to that. However, it does say that uh, the type of art as an actual art form and origins uh, could be associated with things like cross-stitch, which I sure, think you yeah. could kind of see that in the in the pixelation. But obviously, um, due to restrictions of the early era uh, computers, uh, it was low resolution graphics of eight and sixteen bit, right? Computers that and uh, graphing calculators that kind of created the style. Um, and so, uh, you know, as far back as the nineteen seventies, you have especially in games, 
you have the artwork. So some of the early ones would be Space Invaders from 78, Pac-Man in 1980. Those are probably two of your right top top most famous ones that you'll think about when you think about pixel art. Yep. Pretty abstract too. Also called sprites. Yes. Um, the article that I got this from uh, also called the 1980s, the golden age of arcade video games, which I really do appreciate since that was... So yeah, there were a lot of good ones. Yeah, that was also when I was in the arcades. That was probably the golden games. age of arcades in general. I yeah. Feel like. Arcades really aren't as big as they were when we were kids. No. Um, anyway, the actual term was first applied and used um, in a... Um, Article published by the makers of uh, Xerox, which I thought was also kind of interesting, like the company Xerox right. in Palo Alto. Anyway, uh, there was a really interesting idea about pixel art actually becoming an accept accepted art form by, uh, there's a quote by a Mark Ferrari, who was an artist at Lucas uh, Films Games, who had stated, quote, when I was first hired by Lucasfilm Games in 1987 to do artwork for their computer games, pixel graphics was not thought of as any by anyone as an art form. The use of pixels was not an aesthetic choice, as it certainly is now. If anything, pixels were an unavoidable and very irksome obstacle to the creation of any, end quote, real art for use in the exciting but bewildering new realm of computer entertainment. There were no pixel artists then at all. There were only traditional artists, um, which is interesting because you fast forward then to the 2000s, especially 2020s, and it is definitely having kind of this resurgence retro I, I love awesome pixel art. Yeah. It's like one of my favorite things. Uh, some of them, too, is it evolved, especially in the early aughts, uh, became quite sophisticated looking yeah. from, you know, the abstract of Pac-Man to very detailed. So. Uh, so you want to know how to play? Sure. Okay. We're leaders leading our packs okay. against our rival. Right. The first player is randomly chosen. Uh, based on the theme, I'm not entirely sure what mechanic there is, what better way to choose. Yeah. So I was like, last to do pixel art, but neither one of us are artists. Uh, last to play a Nintendo game. That would be you. That would probably be me. So I'll go first this time. Okay. The game takes place over several rounds with each round lasting three waves. At the beginning of the game, each player is going to start with five cards. And of those cards, uh, they're going to select one of their leaders. So the leaders are going to be on the bottom side of the card. So they'll have uh, multiple uses throughout the game. And they're going to put it on the board in the leader spot on their side of the table. And then from there, players are going to take turns taking action. So each wave corresponds to each row. So wave one is the vanguard, wave two is the flank, and wave three is the rear. Generally, only cards and heroes in the current wave's row can be played. Each wave consists of both players taking two actions. So you're going to draw a card. Uh, so these are the actions that you can do. You can draw a card. Uh, you can't do that if your deck is empty or your hand has five or more cards in it. You can recruit a hero. So you can play a hero from your hand into an empty slot of the current wave. So if it's the Vanguard wave, you can only play heroes to the Vanguard row. You can attack. So you can use a hero in the current wave that you hadn't recruited that wave. Uh, so it has to be recruited in a previous 
uh, wave, uh, that they haven't moved and they haven't cast a spell, then they can attack. So for melee, uh, attacker and target must be in the frontmost spots uh, of that row. So if there's nobody in the vanguard spot, but you have a hero in the flank, then they can attack whoever's in the front row of that column. If they have range, then they can attack any rival or hero. Heroes with the intercept ability will protect the heroes behind them in the same column. When hit, damage is placed on the hero or leader. The hero or leader will continue to act through the current wave even if damage exceeds their life total. Casualties are not checked until the end of a wave. So that's for attacking. Casting a spell. So use a hero in the current wave, not recruited, moved, or attacked this wave and has a spell ability to use. Uh, spells are not attacks. You can take a leader action. Uh, you can use the action provided by your leader. You can play an order. So reveal the order from your hand and allow follow all of its text and then discard it. You can move. So move a hero from the current wave to any open slot in your unit as long as it has an attacked or cast a spell this wave. You can clear a corpse. So heroes that are killed can either be revived or cleared. To clear it, move it from its space to the owner's discard pile. That's not restricted to this current wave. So if we're in the vanguard and I have a dead hero in the rear, I can remove that corpse and put it in the discard. Uh, apparently there are spells where you can raise from the dead. Necromancy. Yep. Or a phoenix down if you're a fan of Final Fantasy. Uh, you can switch. So you can choose two heroes in your unit and swap their positions. This is considered a long action, so it takes both your actions to do. Uh, you can play an operation. So you can play an operation from your hand to one of your reserve slots, uh, which uh, go below the, the board here, uh, at the back of your unit. You can place a trap. Place it face down from your hand to the rear row. Uh, you can activate a trap. So when the conditions are met, you can activate a trap, not place that turn with a free action. Uh, and then you can clear a trap or an op operation. So you can only ever have three operations and you can only ever have three in the rear. So you can use an action to remove one of those things to clear up space. Uh, the game ends when a player's hero has damage that exceeds its life total at the end of a wave. The player whose leader is still standing is the winner. If both players fall in the same round, the player with the most heroes remaining is the winner. If both players have the same number of heroes, the game ends in a tie. Mm. So no shared victory, just a straight up tie. Mm. And those are all the rules. Let's play. We just finished a game of Pixel Tactics Deluxe. To recap, uh, BP, who had Elagor Larrington, was defeated by Luke Van Gott and his crew. BP got uh, my leader down to uh, just almost half of their health, I guess. Winning strategy, try to clear out your vanguard and attack your leader. The assassin helped as well, mm -hmm. uh, being able to hit the leader constantly. So that was a good one. Mm -hmm. So that was my strategy. What was your strategy? I don't know why. <laughs> I was trying to stay alive. Trying to figure out how to attack and then how not to die. But apparently my cards weren't weren't that great enough. I think our, I think we had the same exact decks. I think they're the exact same. Yeah. Because uh, we had a lot of the same heroes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So right. did you feel like a leader leading a unit to attack your rival leader? Mm, kind of. 
you're playing cards that attack. Yeah. It's, it's weird, right? Like I don't necessarily feel like I was like a, you know, go do that, but I was definitely attacking your leader, but I feel like that was more a function of the game and the end mechanic vice any actual like theme. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Table presence. Actually kind of blah for, for thinking about, right? Pixel art. You cover up the most noticeable pixel art with your cards, which have a lot of text on them. Yeah, it's really disappointing. The pics, like the characters are super small, hard to see. Um, like when you do look at them, they look cool, but they're definitely not the centerpiece. They're tiny. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. Deluxe version comes with like a little paper playing board, which we played on. But I think even if you didn't have that and you just saw somebody with like stacks of cards. Yeah. I don't think it would really draw your attention. I don't think there's anything about it that would draw you to the table. No. Yeah. Mechanics. So generally, I like multi-use cards. Yeah. In this case, I did not like it at all um, because it took away from the art. Like there's, I feel like you could have, they had some hero types that would make sense to be Vanguard. So you could have just made them Vanguard. Right. Some that made sense to be in the rear. So you could have just made them rear heroes, made the pixel art more front and center, and then just had those heroes specific to... Because there were some where it was like, I saw a card that said, you know, name a card in your deck, search through your deck and get that card. Mm. So if you had that, you could be like, okay, I really need the assassin right now. Right. I'm going to name the assassin, and the assassin I know goes in the rear row. Which makes the most sense for an assassin. But I, yeah, it, it just seemed like a, a lot to put on a single card. Mm-hmm. And then also have that card be a possible leader as well. Yeah. Like, oof. I, I feel like it, you could have just had like three or four leaders, picked the leader that you right. wanted, and then played it, and then have a separate deck. Which I thought time. when you read it is how it was going to go. Yeah. So. Um, anything mechanics that you, uh, rules, how was it learning the game? It wasn't like, I mean, eventually kind of figured it out, but I also don't know that I figured out any strategy or how to really utilize the different things, like, especially the, the, the different, uh, positions, right? Like all the different texts on the cards. I don't know that I really figured it out. Like eventually I just figured out, okay, I can now attack, attack. That was basically it. So I don't know that it's very intuitive. I agree. I also think that the so this gets into rule book, but the rule book isn't laid out super well. There were some things where I was like, I, is this an order? Is this a yeah. operation? Like, I don't think there are any operations in our deck, I think, because there's a deck building mechanic to it as well. So what we played with was essentially the, the most basic mm. deck you could possibly have is what we played with. So maybe there's stuff that you could add in to like make something that was more like synergized together mm-hmm. with cards that you could work together if you wanted to deck build that piece. And not deck build, like the mechanic for a game, more like deck construction, like right. Magic the Gathering right. or something along those lines. Yeah, the rule book was not great. And teaching it, I felt like it was a little hard too because trying to explain 
you know, oh, if it's in the red row for Vanguard, it only does the red ability. If it's in this row, it only yeah. does this ability. And then iconography is not great. And then the rule book just doesn't spell it out very well. So play interaction. I mean, yeah, you're attacking me, but not very much interaction, like for a two-player game. I was thinking the same exact thing. Like it was forced interaction almost. Yeah. It was like, okay, now your turn. Okay, now your turn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the one good part is it moved fast. Sure. That, yeah. So would you play it again? No. Going to trade it, probably. Yeah, I'm glad I traded for it. And games that I was just like, I don't really care if these leave or not. You know, games that we just weren't super enthusiastic about. This is not a winner. Yeah. about, About 10 minutes into the game. So we played for about 40 minutes. About 10 minutes in, I almost said, hey, do you want to just stop and record the end of the podcast? Because I was not having fun. Yeah, I did not have fun either. Yeah. So that was Pixel Tactics Deluxe. Today we're playing Parade by Naoki Homa. The artists were Philip uh, Guerin, who also did Azul, Tichu, Arboretum, Pandemic, Riot, Reign of Cthulhu, Pandemic, The Cure, Junk Art, and Oniram. Naoki Homa, Karsten Mel, Chris Quillums, who also did Public or er, Public Legacy, Pandemic Legacy Season 1, Great Western Trail, Pandemic Legacy Season 2, Azul, Pandemic Iberia, Pandemic is. Uh, just regular pandemic. Azul's Summer Pavilion, Coimbra, Tichu, Carcassonne, Century Golem Edition, Camel Up Second Edition, Arboretum, Merchants of Marauders, Azul Stained Glass of Centra, Clash of Cultures, Pandemic Reign of Cthulhu, Pandemic The Cure, Junkart, Blackout, Hong Kong, Archipelago, Great Western Trail, Argentina, Camel Up First Edition, Carcassonne, Hunters and Gatherers, Century A New World, and Century Eastern Wonders, Reef, Azul the Queen's Garden, Akrotiri, and Flick'em Up. And those are just the games he's done in the top thousand. Uh, and then also Yuka Saito. Uh, it was published in 2007 by Z-Man Games, which is, explains why we have a bunch of artists who also worked on Pandemic. And the description. The parade is started in Wonderland. Everyone is dressed up. The streets are decorated. Excitement is in the air. Let's find some people to join the parade. You are one of the organizers of the parade and are constantly trying your best to encourage people to join. If only the people already taking part didn't leave so early. After a short while, they simply lose all interest in the parade. And if somebody shows up with the same dress or of a higher rank, all they do is leave the parade immediately and complain to you. You just want everybody to have fun, but why is that so difficult? And the mechanics are hand management and set set collection. And the box art is uh, smack dab in the middle is a front version of the Cheshire Cat with his big toothy grin. Uh, And then above that parade in a scripty font that looks fun and whimsical. It uh, looks like it's framed. There's a some mushrooms, the white rabbit, a uh, little bit. It looks like Alice teacup cards. So some of your typical uh, icons you would associate with Alice in Wonderland. I think what I like about this box art is like there's only three colors. You've got the purple, which is the main color of the box, and then silver, which is what all those like the white rabbit and Alice. But then very prominently is Parade, the name, and then the eyes of the Cheshire Cat in yellow. 
It reminds me of that scene from the Disney version where he kind of just sort of appears mm-hmm. and with his eyes first and then his mouth. Uh, so it's kind of a cool, cool looking cover. Uh, so based on the description and the box art, BP, why did you purchase this game? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I am a big fan of Alice in Wonderland um, and was going solely off of that. Yeah. All right. So the answer is you would pick it up because you did purchase it. I think if I saw the box from the side, it's very boring on the side. It's just the name and Mm. it's hard to see that it's a Cheshire cat. And I don't think it would be all that interesting. I think if I saw the cover from the front, I would pick it up just because, like I said, I I think it's an interesting. uh, The art is interesting enough that I might pick it up and then uh, just... Being married to you, I would probably pick it up as well just to see because it is Alice in Wonderland and I know you like it. So, um, How do you think it's played, BP? This time I really messed you up and I didn't put the cards out. So the game is not set up. Right. Uh, hand management and set collection and we want to be able to have a parade. So I'm assuming our hand management is we're going to be... Um, we're going to be, I'm going to guess we're displaying out all the characters because we want to have a functional parade, right? So the cards are going to be of the different characters in Alice in Wonderland, but we only want one of each kind of character. Mm. Okay. So that's where the set, set collection comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the history of parades. Yeah. I nailed it. What? Yes. How did we do that? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, but in thinking about parades, um, I was actually thinking of the more ancient processional types because in the medieval period and later, they were quite popular. Uh, All right. So, well, so we were thinking of different parades, but go on. <laughs> I mean, a parade is just a procession of people. Okay. Um, the name is definitely a much more modern connotation. If you would like to know, the oldest uh, official and historic celebrations that are called a parade is... Um, the Macy's. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. No. Oh, okay. Bristol's 4th of July Parade. Oh. Uh, founded in 1785, uh, known nationally as the 4th of July Parade in Bristol, Rhode Island. Obviously, it's part of the celebration for Independence Day, but right. 1785, of course. Being, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Probably not very many processionals going on before that. Um, there, because before that, they were usually associated with religious processions. So, I mean, parades parades are are pretty pretty old. Like I said, uh, starting from religious processions, and I know they're older than ancient Greek and Roman, but. Uh, one of the articles I had, that's where they started from, um, was ancient Greek and Roman associated with like Olympic games or gladiatorial games, right? Like, again, religious festival processions. Um, but again, in our sense, it's the procession that's usually organized going along a street, often costumes, marching bands, floats, sometimes large balloons, such as, of course, the 
Macy's Day, um, Thanksgiving, Macy's Thanksgiving Day parade. Yeah, that was harder than, harder what, than expected. What is going to happen if Macy's ever goes out of business? Do uh, they just, who knows? I don't know. Um, anyway, so, uh, again, usually some sort of celebratory, um, according to a Wikipedia article on parades, the, um, one of the oldest, uh, historical parades was a federation uh, in of the Federation of Australia in Sydney dating from 1901. But of course, um, the one in 1785 in Bristol trumps that. So again, I think it's kind of tricky. Like, what are you calling a parade versus say a procession? Is it the religious connotations? Because also in the Wikipedia article, uh, annual events do include various carnival parades. Um, and again, those can be all kinds of different carnivals, um, associated with the lentil season. Um, here, let's check out Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade has been in uh, action since 1924, uh, making it the second oldest Thanksgiving Parade Day in the United States. Second oldest? Mm-hmm. Um, Philadelphia's Thanksgiving Day Parade was the oldest by four years. Is that one still going? Why isn't that one televised? I, you know... That's a good question. Yeah. Are you, are you really an old parade if you're not even televised at this point? So there you go. All right. Parades, celebrations, costumes, balloons. Uh, all right. So we are organizers of a parade in Wonderland, uh, which we don't want to be because no one wins when they are organizers of a parade in Wonderland. The goal is to play cards from your hand and gain no cards from the parade. Mm. The first player is randomly chosen, perhaps the last to attend a parade. Uh, that's all I can really come up with. Uh, play then continues clockwise around the table. I don't remember the last time I was at a legit parade. I mean, we've been to the one at Disneyland often. No, I mean, I don't remember when that was. I know. Uh, I mean, I used to be in marching band. All right, we'll let you go first, just because you were in a parade. Uh, okay, so on a player's turn, they're going to perform the following action. They're going to choose one card from their hand and place it at the end of the parade. This card is not a part of the next step. If necessary, cards will be removed from the parade and laid in front of the player. If the number of cards already in the parade is less than or equal to the value of the card played, then no cards are removed. So basically, if the card value is higher than the number of cards in the parade. Okay, if the number of cards in the parade is greater, so more cards in the parade than the value of the card, then we're gonna count from the end of the parade until you get to a position number that is greater than the card value played, and these cards are in removal mode. Uh, the cards removed follow these rules. They are the same color as the card played, and they are less than or equal to the value of the card played. And if you play a zero, all cards are in removal mode. So, then finally, after you do that, you're gonna draw a card from the draw pile. The game ends when one of two conditions are met. A player has collected one of every color, and there are six. The round is finished, and then all players get one final turn. Or the draw deck is exhausted. Play continues until all players have four cards remaining in their hand. Once we get to that point, each player is gonna select two cards in their hand and discard them, and then add their final two cards to the cards in front of them. 
Then each color is scored. The player with the most cards of that color flips them all face down and counts each as one point. For a two-player game, one player must have two or more cards than the other player in order to have a majority. All other players add up the face value of the face-up cards. The score for each color is added up, and the player with the lowest score is the winner. So basically, you don't want cards. Right. If you have the most of a color, they're actually worth less. So you have like a conundrum. Okay. Anyway, those are all the rules. Okay. Do, 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 do. Let's play. We just finished a game of Parade. I came in second place with 27 points, and BP came in first place also with 27 points, and she won the tiebreaker by only having 15 cards in front of her, while I had 19 cards. Winning strategy, BP? Try not to pick up cards. Yeah, for some reason I thought in my head, like, oh, like people are just going to get like every color. I should try and get a majority in like one or two of them. Mm-hmm. And then I just like started collecting up red cards. And then halfway through, I was like, wait, if PP doesn't get any red, sure, I get the majority. But each one of these is still a point. So then I was like, ah, crap. <laughs> I didn't really think that one through. Yeah, I had no clue how the scoring was going to go. Yeah. Because I paid so much attention. It's just hard for me to to follow those things. So Yeah, and I think other than that, you just try and like like there was a time where I had a bunch of I think it was like purple cards. Mm-hmm. And I just played them in ascending order or descending order so that every subsequent mm-hmm. subsequent card, like I would I'd pick up all the cards that I would end up picking up with the beginning part and then just play the other cards and I'm not gonna pick up the other ones. Right. So I tried doing that a couple couple times. Um, theme. Did you feel like a parade organizer? No. I also did not feel like parade organizer. I feel like we were playing numbered cards and we could have played this with the regular 52 card deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, table presents. I, I mean, the cards are fantastic. The artwork is great. Um, the purple is Cheshire Cat. You have the Dodo Bird. Um, you have the White Rabbit, Alice, um, a Humpty Dumpty, the Mad Hatter. I mean, they're, I mean, I, I would stop and look because they're Alice in Wonderland themed and you have a huge, several rows of cards strewn out. Would it catch anybody's attention? Maybe not. This is a deceptive table hog. When you look mm-hmm. at the size of the box, you're mm-hmm. just like, oh, it's a simple card game. But you have to lay everything out in a row so that you can go down the row the and procession. look at all the Yeah. So we're playing on like one half of our table and we ended up like making this giant like Disneyland style queue where you, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like snaking up and down the row. Uh, I was not expecting that. I thought things would go a lot quicker uh, in terms of like picking up cards mm-hmm. and all that stuff so that the, the parade itself would not get very large. But there were rounds where we would go three or four times each of us yeah. without picking up a single card. So, uh, it, yeah, deceptive table hog. Canics, I'm not, I don't even know how to, like, I mean, hand management and set collection. Yeah. But like kind of like 
anti-set collection because you don't want cards. But there is kind of a, I guess there is a strategy if there's more people playing because just having the majority, you don't need to have two times or two cards more than the other person. Mm -hmm. If we were playing with more people, then potentially I could see like, oh, BP's got three blue. I'm going to use this card and grab some blue, you know, because I see she's got a nine and a 10 or whatever. Um, So, yeah, I don't think there's anything crazy. I think mechanically it is a little convoluted with uh, count back this number of cards Mm -hmm. and then take the ones that are the same color. And then, yeah, it's a little weird. Uh, What did you think of the mechanics? I I mean, you're you're laying down cards. Yeah, it's a very simple game. Mm -hmm. Um, Rules, how was it learning the game? Uh, fine. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, I never you, went yeah. back into the rule book. Uh, I did open it up for the scoring, but then I was like, I don't need to open it up for the scoring. Like, it's super simple. Um, I think there was like a little bit of, I don't want to say tactical nuance, but there was a little bit of thinking about which card you wanted to mm-hmm. play and when. Um, so it wasn't just like a straight, like lay down a card and pick up other cards type game. You did have to think a little bit about yeah, what you were going to do, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, player interaction? Not really. We were, it was a very silent 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Th- I mean, there's no reason to talk. There's no, there's no back and forth. Mm-hmm. There's none of that stuff. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't think there was a whole lot of player interaction. Uh, so would you play it again, BP? Yeah, the cards are pretty. It's simple. It's easy. It's light. It'd be, you know... A, a decent little filler game. Yeah, I'm going to go with no. Um, I would rather play guillotine. Mm-hmm. Similar concept, but there's act, like the cards actually do stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all the art is generally different. So while the art here is fun and I do like it, um, every green suit is all Humpty Dumpty and it's all the same picture of Humpty Dumpty. Mm-hmm. So it's not like 10 different images because it goes from zero to 10. So 11 different images of each one, which would have been cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's not though. So um, yeah, I don't think I would, I would rather play guillotine. Okay. And with the table hogness, like the other part about guillotine is, is you never really get into those long snake lines. That's true. So you can play it in much smaller places. You could not play this in no. a small space. So you would need a larger place. So, uh, so that was Parade. So if you have any recommendations you would like to hear our impressions on, just send them our way. Uh, we can be reached via email at firstturntabletop at gmail or Twitter and Instagram. We are at firstturncast. And the podcasting camel says is he's uh, he's got a tuba. Okay. Yeah, in the parade. And he's going... <laughs> which, which is the it's just the universal sound for a tuba. Uh-huh. Come on, yeah. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcatchers. We look forward to hearing from you. Play more games. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs>
I'm going to attack your mascot with my trapper oh, no. and kill your mascot. Beginning of the lentil season, if you will. I do like lentils. I do too.